uh, Phil with us, uh, Pastor Phil Starbuck. Just to give a little brief introduction uh, to him, uh, 22 years ago, he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ that changed his life uh, forever. Um, he has uh, been in the past a professional footballer. Please, if you're a Derby fan, don't try and kill him because he used to play for Nottingham Forest. Okay. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, over those years, there's been just catching up with him just for a moment, just a significant journey that he's been on, many highs, some lows. Uh, but through it all, God has been faithful to him. And uh, more recently, he uh, serves. He's just recently been ordained as a, an Elim minister. He serves on uh, Phil Weaver's team. Phil, Pastor Phil Weaver is a man who we know, many of us know from this church over in Loughborough, New Springs Church. And also leads a great charity that he was just telling me about called New for Old. If you want to know a little bit more about Phil, then just look at newforold.org and you'll be able to get some more information about him. But Phil basically uh, was uh, speaking at a football presentation that we had for the Green Army. Okay. Woo. <clears throat> okay. Did you hear it? I'll do that again. For the Green Army? Okay. It's a bit better. And... Uh, and so, actually, Phil Pye said, oh, I just think it'd be great to just come and speak into our Father's Day for the following year. And he kindly agreed. And as I said, it's lovely to have his wife and kids with us today. So, you know, there's no better welcome than Arena Church, is there? So let's prove it. Let's show our appreciation, shall we, to Pastor Phil. Bless you, mate. Thank you. Good morning. Are you all okay? Fantastic to be here. I am really excited to be here this morning. Uh, I remember when we came to the Football Awards, uh, everybody was so nice. Everyone was so bubbly and happy. You've probably got the most mental church I've ever been in, by the way. (laughs) It's wonderful. It's awesome. And on Father's Day, who knows that to be a father is not easy anymore, is it? It's not an easy task, is it, being a dad? You know, you come across all sorts of things, and I think I'm a dad of five, believe it or not. Can you believe that? Wow, you put me on your prayer list. You put me, you put me on your prayer list, you said, didn't you? Yeah. I need your prayers. And I don't think that over the years, as a dad, there's not much that I've not been through. But it doesn't make it any easier, does it? No. And if you're a dad here this morning, I applaud you. If you're a daddy this morning, or a dad-to-be, or a granddad, I applaud you. The enemy tells us so often, you are a rubbish dad. Don't listen. It's, it's like he's the father of lies. When he tells the truth, he tells lies. He is a muppet. I hate him. I hate the devil. I hate him with a passion. I don't care if he hears me, because I'm covered in the blood. But you know what, you dads? Well done you. You're doing a great job. I honor you, I applaud you, keep going, don't give in, keep trusting in God because you're doing a good job. So well, let's give the dads a clap again. Now, I, I, I love my Bible. I, I, I've been a Christian actually 26 years, uh, and I love my Bible. Uh, and this last six months, isn't it incredible that God takes us on a journey, doesn't he? And over this last six months, I've fell in love more and more with the scriptures. They're life to us. They feed us. They guide us. They direct us. And, and I love my Bible. And this morning, I'm just going to talk to you from the Bible.
Bible. I'm going to go on a journey with you this morning from the book of Ruth. Is that okay? Yes. And we're going to look at a chap called Boaz. I'm going to see if we can learn anything from Boaz as a man, as a father, as a husband. Is that okay? So let's crack on. Before we're just going to get into the word, I just want to pray. Is that okay? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you that you sent Jesus. And I want to thank you, Jesus, that you came. Holy Spirit, I stand here this morning and I need you. I need you to help me to speak. I need you to help me to to say everything you want me to say. And the stuff you don't want me to say, let me not say it. I pray, Lord, that your word will go forth, that it will accomplish the, the, and everything that it was sent and every reason that it was sent, Lord. Let it accomplish all that you desire, Lord, in the hearts of your people. Let your people be blessed, I pray, in the name of Jesus. I'm stirred. Um, I'm really stirred. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to really help me this morning and guide me and lead me. And I'm actually stirred. I just want to share a little scripture with you before I crack on. Uh, in the book of Ruth, where we're going. Uh, uh, Christian said earlier that God, he felt, you feel God that's been pursuing people. God's been pursuing people. Uh, I've got I just, a scripture come to mind as I was sat there, where, as you said that, Christian. I believe there's people here, this is for you. People here that don't know Christ, this is for you. The triumphal entry in Matthew 21, Jesus sent the guys to go and get the colt that was tied next to a donkey. And Jesus said this, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her and tie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them. The Lord has need of you. There's people here today. Christians have been saying that the Lord's been pursuing you. You might not know what it is. The Lord's pursuing you. And the Lord will say to you this morning from that scripture in Matthew, the Lord has need of you. The master has need of you. You might say, I, I, I'm not a Christian. It doesn't matter. The Lord has need of you. I thank God. We sing the song Amazing Grace. I felt like welling up because he found me. I was a wretch. And you might be here this morning. You might be a wretch. But this morning, he, he's going to find you. He needs you. You might be sat here this morning. You don't know Jesus. Well, hold on tight. Because 27 years ago, I made that decision to follow him. Wow, it was the most, the, the most precious, the most awesome, awe-inspiring thing I ever did. I said once when I scored on my debut against Liverpool that it will never beat it. It beats it hands down when I look in someone's eyes and I say, and you pray them into Christ's kingdom. When the, when, when the Holy Spirit snatches you from the pits of the enemy into his glorious kingdom. If that's you this morning and your heart's beating, hold on tight because it's a wonderful journey. And we're going to come back there later on. So the book of Ruth. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to open into the book of Ruth. And we're going to start at the first chapter. And we're just going to read a little. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Now, it says straight away there, 
um, that the judges governed. Now, the judges governed about 1,400 to 1,050 years BC prior here. And if you flick your page back into the last chapter of Judges, 25 and the last verse 21, there's a famous part there that says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? We see you made mention of the Euros. What is going on in the Euros? What has happened to the game of football? There's the wrong kind of five-fold ministry going on there. It's, not, it's just wrong. You, you know, it makes you ashamed it, it, to see the fellow human beings doing them kind of things. And it wouldn't have been too much different in, Ezra, uh, in um, Ruth's day. That everybody did what they thought right in their own mind. There's no, there's no structure. There's no governance. There's no authority. And it was just chaos. And here, God focused on, it says, on a certain man that we introduced a little bit later on as Elimelech. And it's, it's, it's wonderful how God is, isn't it? Because it focuses on a certain man. The God of the universe. This amazing, massive God who, who flung the stars into space, that knows them by name, that keeps the world spinning, that knows about all the universe, that knows about us as people, that put everything in it and on it. And we sometimes wonder that, little me, why on earth would God want to know much about me? And here it's wonderful because, and a certain man. God is really, really interested and passionate about the certain man and the certain woman. He's interested in your life. He's interested in what you're doing. He's interested about your heart. He wants to know where he wants to lead you. He's got, did you know he's got a path for you? Do you know he wants to lead you? Do you know you might be saying, oh, life's tough at the minute, Phil. You don't know what I'm going through. It doesn't matter. God's been there. He knows. Jesus came in the flesh. He came in the flesh, and there's nothing that you're going through that he doesn't know about or been through or, ex- or has experienced. He knows. Wonderful that he, in Bethlehem, it's, it's ironic that Bethlehem means actually house of food or, or, or place of bread. It's crackers that actually there was a famine in the house of bread. It doesn't add up, does it? It sounds a bit... Bonkers a bit the wrong way, but often God spins things around, doesn't he? And here we have Elimelech, uh, the head of the, ha- of the house, the head of the home. He's married a woman called Naomi. They've got two children. And here this bloke's in a bit of a quandary because he's got to lead his family. Do you know what? Here, if you were a dad here today and you're a husband and you've got kids, it's not easy leading family sometimes, is it? No, you've got to make a decision. But this is a difficult decision because there's famine. Now, they were, they were worshippers of Yahweh. And, and I've got to say, it, it, it's an interesting decision that he made to move his family to Moab. It's an interesting decision. It, it, as you dig deep and look at it and find out the background, it was actually a crazy decision because he was a worshipper of Yahweh. Now, because of the famine, some commentaries have suggested that possibly... He'd lost his trust in God. That possibly he'd lost his confidence in God because Yahweh was the one that provides the crops and Yahweh was the one that was, provides blessing and protection and provision, yet they're in famine. Where's God in all this? Maybe because of the, the social scene, maybe they thought that God was punishing them. So they decided to leave. Here's a massive point Here's a massive point. They were planted in Bethlehem. You see, they were planted there. They left the place 
they were planted. They moved away from the place where God put them, and they went to somewhere where they felt they needed to go. What a, it, that, that's not good leadership. You can, you, you can only go where God's leading you. You know Jesus only did what the Father did. He, only, he, only, he did what the Father wanted him to do. His eyes were always on the Father. I'm suggesting that Elimelech's eyes were on his family. He'd taken his eyes off Yahweh, onto his family, and he made a disastrous decision. It was disastrous. You say, why, Phil, was it disastrous? Well, he was fleeing. He was fleeing death. He, he, he didn't want his family to starve. Yet the very thing, as we read on, that he was fleeing from, caught him up. Because the story goes on, not only did Elimelech die, but his two sons died. It says there, in verse 3, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. We're not told what happened. We're given no circumstances. But they died. And here we have Naomi, no husband, no boys, that was probably being subservient to his decision to go. But she followed the leader. She followed the man. And why Moab? Oh, goodness knows. It was one of the worst places he could have took his family to. From a a nation that worships Yahweh to a place called Moab that worships false gods. They don't worship Yahweh. They follow the, the, uh, the false god Chemosh. They were into idolatry. They were into human sacrifice. Why would you take your family there? There could have been other places for him to go to. And here we are as men of our homes and leaders in the family. And it could be so easy for us to say, what on earth was he doing? What a muppet. But actually, when we've got to make decisions, I'm sure we've made them, and I have. I've made some wrong decisions in my time. And we have to lead our family in grace and trust, but always keeping our eyes on Father not the circumstances. So we go on. She's alone. She, she's heard that Father, uh, that Yahweh has visited Bethlehem and that he's given them food. She makes a decision, Naomi, to go home back to Bethlehem, but she also saying to her daughters-in-law, she's got two daughters-in-law, by the way, I forgot to mention that, that her sons married before they died. Orpha and Ruth. Now, Naomi is saying to these guys, listen, go, go, go home. Go back to where you came from. I, I've got nothing. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be happy. Just go back to where you came from. And eventually, Orpha goes. She goes. It says in verse 8, as we go on this journey together, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Let me just say a, a, a throwaway there. That word kindly is translated to hesed. And that means God's, it's a, it's a form of love. And, and she's trying to show them the hesed love, an unconditional love, a, a, a brotherly, sisterly love, a kingdom love. So just as a little side, I wonder if we can get a little bit of hesed love in our families. So off she goes. They start to go. And eventually, Orpha decides to go. It says that she kissed them, in verse 9, lifted up their voices, and they wept. However, there's a different spirit about Ruth. The different substance in her. There's a sustenance to her. There's something about her that she's faithful to Naomi. 
And there's a fantastic passage of scripture in verse 14. And they lifted their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed the mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. That word clung there is the same as Genesis 2.24. That when it says that you shall leave your mother and your father, you shall cleave to your wife. It's the same word, cleave. She clung to her. She was never, ever was she going to leave her. She clung to her. She loved her with an undying love. And scripture goes on again. And in verse 16, Ruth is pleading to Naomi. She's saying this. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, my God, your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Wow. What a a, a statement of faithfulness, of love. It's an amazing, amazing thing. I wonder, it's, it reminded me when I said my wedding vows. When you, when you say your wedding vows to your wife, that, that I promise not to, ever to leave you and forsake you, that where you go, I'll go. I'll be your, you, I will follow your God, you follow my God. Where you die, I die. And, it, and it, you get this sense, husbands, of this real cleaving faithfulness that Naomi meant business. And then they get on this journey, Ruth and Naomi, and they get back. They get back to Bethlehem. And there's an uproar because Naomi was well known in Bethlehem. It says in verse 21, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So when I'm in praying and preparing for today, I've been seriously preparing for today. This is what the Lord, I believe, would say to you as a church. Your empty days are over. Your empty days are over, says God. He's going to fill you. You personally is going to fill you with dreams. He's going to fill you with passion. He's going to fill you with a hunger. Your empty days are over. You might have been thinking to yourself this last week, I'm not sure where God is. I'm not sure what I'm doing. I'm not sure where I'm going. God says your empty days are over. You look to me. You serve me. You you show the same faithful love that Ruth showed Naomi. The world's your oyster, says God. Nothing's impossible with me, says God. Your empty days are over. Your empty days are over. Your tears are over. Your empty days are over. And as a church, your empty days are over. Not that you're empty. But I don't just believe for this church and and churches in Mansfield and any other churches that you plant. And I pray that you do. Your empty days are over. You're going to be known as a church full of grace, passion, love, caring, the word, the truth, salvation, redemption, prosperity, giving. Not so you can build up your your, your bank accounts, but you can build it to give it. and, And it will come and it will go. And it will come and it will go. And that's how God works, isn't it? He doesn't give us money that we can just spend on ourselves. He brings it in so you can give it out. And you'll never outgive God. You'll never outgive Him. Let it come in so you can give it out. Wonderful that you're sowing 520 pounds to the charity and others. And keep doing it. Keep sowing. Keep giving. You yourselves, keep giving. Keep sowing. You will never be empty, says God. You, you do that, you will not be empty.
And they came to Bethlehem, verse 22, at the beginning of the barley harvest. And now we're introduced to Boaz. We're introduced to Boaz, and what I'm going to do, we're going to go on a bit of a thing here. And and I'm going to point out, I've got an eight-point thing, eight eight things about Boaz that hopefully we can learn and take on board as as dads and as husbands. But but of course, you you women and you ladies, and if you're single, uh, you, you will still get something from this. But I thought this, aim it predominantly at fathers and husbands. Obviously, it's Father's Day. But please, I've not forgotten about everybody else. You will get something from this. And it says, verse 1, And Naomi, the kinsman of her husband, a, had a kinsman of her husband, a, a man of great wealth, and a family of Emelech, whose name was Boaz. At this juncture, Naomi's not too sure where he is. She doesn't know too much about him. She doesn't she know really much about him at all. But she says that he was a man of great wealth. Boaz means, in him is strength. That's what Boaz means. And when they say here in Scripture that he was a man of great wealth, They're not just speaking in monetary terms. They're not just saying he's got a few quid in the bank. What he's saying is, what they're saying is that he's a man of great wealth in here. He's got a fantastic character. He's a man of truth and he's a man of integrity. He was a man that was well well liked. He 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 got great position in society. He was a businessman, but he loved people. He was a man of honor and integrity. He loved Yahweh and he loved people. And it becomes evident as we go along on this journey together this morning, you'll see that he was a man of great wealth and integrity. I would love to have known Boaz. And my question to start with, men, are you, are you, are you a man of great wealth? Are you a man of great wealth? Or, or I'm just thinking now, Lord's leading me here. Is your wealth your greatness? Is your wealth your greatness? I think in here of... Um, the, the rich young ruler. No, God's a God that deals with hearts, isn't he? He's not particularly bothered about what you do. No, I could say, yeah, Lord, I'm a pro footballer. Like, bothered. I ain't bothered. Don't matter, does it? Say, I'm a dustman. Bothered. Don't matter. But God's interested in you. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in your motives. He's interested in what's deep within you. So are you a man? Are you a woman of great wealth? What, what's in your heart? Or like the rich young ruler, when Jesus... We know the story well, I'm sure, when Jesus challenged what was number one in his throne of his heart, that God should be on the throne room of your heart, not money. He was rich, and money was his God. And Jesus, he doesn't mess about, does he? He goes straight to it. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. He couldn't do it, and he went away sad. God searches your hearts. And this morning, as you're sat there, I'm believing the Holy Spirit is searching your hearts. And he's saying to you this morning, are you a person of great wealth? The emphasis is, and the responsibility is on you. On you. Down. You might not think you're lost. You might, not, you might think where you are, you don't need him. There's a man called Tony Washington, my first spiritual father. He went on a ferry. He got two young kids, David and Jeremy. Uh, David was lost. He was about four or five years old. They lost him on the ferry. They start looking for him. They can't find him. Panicking. They're flapping like Billy Wears. 20 minutes goes by. They've got other people looking for him. They can't find him. They make an announcement on the ferry. They've got staff looking for him. An hour goes by. They can't find him. Can you imagine? They're looking out over the sea saying, Lord, where is he? 
What's happened? Please, Lord, don't let him fall in the vastness of the ocean. He sits down on a bench with his wife, Ursula. And just in front of him, a little bench covered up. David pops out with a little friend of his just made. Can you imagine your mum and dad? I, I can't imagine that. But this is the thing. He was playing with his toys. He was getting on with his life. He thought he was safe under that chair. He felt everything was okay. They didn't need anything. He felt that everything, the world's okay. I don't need anything. They've got me and my mate. We're great. But what he didn't know is he's lost. He, he, he didn't know that he was lost. David didn't know he was lost and he was lost. And you might be here today. You don't know you're lost. You think everything's good. Everything's happy. I don't need Jesus. You might think I'm okay as I am. I'm good. Life's good. But please, you're lost. It says in Amazing Grace, I was lost and then I was found. I was blind and then I saw. Let God open your eyes this morning. It says that one day, he says that you'll look him in the eyes. Do you know Jesus is coming back again? Jesus is coming back again. And one day you're going to stand him and you're going to look him in the eye. And my Bible says one day every knee will bow. And that means your knee too. I heard this quote, you can try and live without Christ. But you can't afford to die without him. You can't afford to die without him. So as I close, the Kingsman Redeemer had to be able, he had to be willing, there had to be no obligation, there had to be an act of love. Jesus is your Redeemer this morning. He's able, more than able. He was able, he did it, he's done it. He was willing, he was willing. Someone said, how much did Jesus love me this much? That's how much he loves you too. That he'd die on a cross. He loves you. He humiliated himself for you. He undressed himself for you. He died for you. He was under no obligation to do that for you. He had to act in love. And if we're going to sing this song, it's that father's song. We're going to sing Amazing Grace again or the father's song? Amazing Grace, okay. And as we sing this song, Amazing Grace... On Father's Day, be amazed at his grace over you. And my prayer is that you trust him, is that you give him a go. If you're a father here this morning, can you be all them things that we spoke about today? Can you be an encourager, provider, a man of grace? Can you be all them things for your family? So I'm going to pray as I come to a close. I'm going to pray for fathers. I'm going to pray for us all. And I'm going to pray for those that don't know Christ. So, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. Thank you, Lord, that what we can learn from Scripture. Thank you, Lord, that what we can learn from Boaz. But more than that, thank you what we can learn from you, Father God. You are the ultimate Father. So, Father in heaven, help us to know you more. I pray for all the fathers here. I pray that they would know your hand upon them, your Father love in their lives, your Father provision in their hearts. Lord, I pray, Father, you'll anoint them Lord, equip the fathers, Father. Equip them, Lord, that they can be the best husbands they can be, the best fathers they can be, the best friends they can be, the best men of God they can be, and for the women of God and the children of God, touch them, anoint them as they sit right where they are. Holy Spirit, come. Touch, anoint. Let them know your closeness. Let them know your presence. We want to know your presence, Lord. We want to know you more. 
We want to see in your face. We long to see in your face, Father. And Father, I pray for those that don't know you. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray as you hover over them. I pray, Lord, as you beat on their heart, as you knock on the door of their heart. Maybe their hearts are beating. I pray you will help them, that you'll enable them to take a step into your kingdom, to take that step closer to you. That, Lord, they wouldn't let the past hinder them. They wouldn't let what's going on in their lives stop them. That they wouldn't let anything that's in their thoughts and how they see themselves make them say no. But, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, take the scales from their eyes. Open their minds, Lord, as you seek them in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you want to know Jesus,